because they have that that great balance of um, doing it kind of the right way. When you hear them, you're like, gosh, that is, that's good. You are listening to End of Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host, Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. Hi, Rachel. Yes, you are listening to that great podcast in the sky, And If Love Remains. I am your sometimes virtuous, occasionally vile, always virile host. If you want to be uh, viral, you know what to do. Subscribe, share, all that stuff. But I'm your host, Mike Levitt. I am here with the master of music, the king of keys, the prince of pianism. Elias Axel Pedersen, Dr. Elias Axel Pedersen. Excuse me, sir. It's great to have you, man. Hey, Mike, your intros are getting longer. My epithets are adding to themselves. So I love well, it. Well, you know, it, you, if we're going to do, you know, it, it helps you increase. It's, it's for the algorithm. That's right. Yeah, that's what it is. Well, for I'm here. Algorithm. This is the first time we're doing a podcast with video. Yeah. So I brought my, uh, my mug Earth town here. Nice. I'm I'm all set. You're good to go, man. No, it's good I'm looking good. good. Go. I love the I love the studio. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun to um, you know, I've been in in there a few times. We've done some mm-hmm. lessons in there, you yeah, and this, I. This is our te- one of our teaching. So we have like a main, I don't know if how much you can see. We've got two uprights in here in our studio, and we've got our C- part of our CD collection and our music library in here and all that. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We've spent a lot of fun hours in here for yeah. sure. Well, and you've spent a lot of fun hours out of town and, and busy the last few weeks. Um, why right. don't you give it, give it before we get into what we're going to talk about today, why don't you give a quick, you know, uh, uh, rundown on, on your comings and goings. Sure. Uh, I think the folks are interested in what you've been up to. It's been fun. Yeah. I mean, we haven't done one of these for a while. Um, once school gets out end of May, beginning of June, I've got, uh, pretty full June with our festival here in Arizona called Arizona Piano Institute. And we had a great festival this year uh, at Phoenix College. We brought some wonderful professors, including my former professor, uh, where um, in whose studio I met my wife about 21 years ago. Wow. So yeah, I I studied with him for my undergrad at uh, the Eastman School of Music. He was the chair for about 20 years. He was our guest artist. So it's really nice to reconnect with him. And we had, you know, 35, 36 students. It's just a great time, really full week of, of piano and music and, and lectures and presentations and whatnot. So it was a lot of fun. That was the beginning of June. Then um, a quick played- question. How was the, I, I love kind of keeping, you know, I don't know. It's interesting, especially semi-local stuff mm-hmm. happening what um how was the piano competition how was the the did you guys have a concerto competition <laughs> well, this year we didn't have the concerto one this year we're okay th- we're trying to do the um we're thinking about doing the online one uh, okay. next year gotcha. yeah so or in the off season because we have the summer festival and we're thinking of offsetting that with like a winter event as oh, a regular that'd be, that'd be good yeah. we tried that once in the past and, and it was successful it just was a lot of work so <laughs> Every time I think about doing that again, I'm like, wow, I don't know if I can, <laughs> well, if I can do it. You, you never have a break. You know, you go right. right into like prepping for the next one, no matter what. 
Exactly. Well, we'll see. I mean, that's that certainly is developing and and growing each year. And, uh, and then I have my own festival, which I also grow and and it's it's doing great. And that's in Albuquerque. So that's another thing that I kind of prep for. Um, yeah. And that was two and weeks had, after. You had a great guest artist in in Albuquerque, didn't you? That's right. This year we had, uh, so it's called Southwest Piano Festival, and I founded it in 2015. And it's really a performance platform to um, give audiences, well, they're all free concerts, first of all, for the audiences. And it's also to give a platform to students and up and comers, you know, from New Mexico and from the Southwest, trying to expand it a little bit. So, uh, and then we always have uh, an international guest artist. And this year was just a stellar person, Jonathan Mamora. He came and uh, he's just won like five inter big international piano competitions in the last year and a half, two years, um, kind of taking the piano world by storm. And he was not only a phenomenal musician, pianist, artist, but just a really great guy, very humble person. Uh, and we loved having him. So I hope each year to kind of make that progress and, and see it grow. And this was, this was the best year yet. So good. That's, that's good to hear. That's fun. Yeah. That is really fun. Well, yeah. um, the last time I had you on, we did, um, we, it was really a fun episode because what we started to do, um, for those who recall, we, we took, uh, some of the same pieces and, and took artist interpretation of those pieces. And we started in the Baroque area. So we started with Bach and we went, mm -hmm. moved on to Mozart and, and we took different interpretations from different, I hate to say different eras because they're, you know, really recordings only been done for the last century or, you know, century and a half. And so, mm -hmm. you know, as far as piano work, you, you know, who knows what, what list actually sounded like. Um, mm -hmm. We can only kind of guess through his students and, and later on, but, and what was written about him, but, mm -hmm. but what we can judge is, is we can listen to how different music was interpreted, um, you know, in the early 20th century, mid 20th century today. I mean, we can make some of those comparisons and we see such a huge variety of interpretations, both from different artists and from different eras. Yes. Yeah. I think so. We, we did start with the Baroque era and, and I think in the last podcast that we'd done about this, it was our first sort of comparative listening one. And um, we mentioned the three, let's say three big artists from the Baroque era that everybody sort of knows Bach, Handel, and you mentioned Vivaldi, which I agree. Yeah. Um, and I chose somebody who I would consider one of the triumvirate from the piano world, Scarlatti. That's right. Uh, we did Scarlatti. That is right. Yeah. yeah. Because he's, he's not maybe on the map for everybody. He, he wrote mostly keyboard stuff. Uh, but, you know, and of course for the harpsichord or, or organ at the time, they didn't have pianos as we know them today. But that was really fascinating. And as you said, of course, we don't have any recordings of Scarlatti playing. But right. uh, we listened to Glenn. Wait, did we listen to? That was for the Mozart. Landowska, yeah. I think. And I know Gillel's and Michelangeli, uh, just to hear some ideas. Um, right. And they different... were so varied. It was, to mm -hmm. me, that's, that's really the fun thing is, is, is still having um, how much room an artist has to, um, uh, within the framework of the music of the score, let's say it that way, within the mm -hmm. framework of the score, how much room an artist has. And it's interesting because I think, and I think you would agree with this. Like I think an artist maybe in some ways has more um, leeway in a score like a, like a, um, 
like a Baroque score where there's very few markings and very few um, versus like Beethoven and even later music where, where composers are kind of, um, you know, dictating exactly what they want. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, but you even mentioned- within that framework, there's a, there's a lot of varied ideas that people can have. Sure. Yeah. I think Beethoven was one of the first, you know, that, that artist who's a quintessential control freak in a way. Right. I mean, he, he told you everything to do, but even within that, you have how many recordings are there of all the 32 Beethoven sonatas, not to mention individual ones. There are hundreds out there right. and, uh, and people still interpret things differently and, and can say and show proof in the score that, yes, that's what he's showing. You know, that's uh, there's, there's support for that idea. So it's hard because, you know, what do you consider a benchmark recording? Um, I might think of a certain artist, you know, one comes to mind Zimmermann that everything he plays, I feel, when he plays it, that's how it should sound. That's the perfect uh, way, yeah. you know, and he's he's playing exactly what's on the page, but he's still interpreting things. You know, the, the same could be said for like a Maurizio Polini, who who almost plays so exactly what it says that sometimes I feel it's a little bit dry or he's not adding his personality. But, you know, there's a lot of discussion on that. So um, I love that discussion. And I think we're going to get into that today with some yeah. very different styles of uh, performing the same pieces. Well, and, and I'm excited as we move forward in time a little bit um, for two reasons. First of all, we're going to hear some some things that maybe some of the, the audience members haven't heard, um, mm-hmm. which I'm excited to introduce them to. Um, but I also think I'm excited specifically as we talk about, you know, pictures here coming up. Uh, we've already done, I think, a seven-part series with you on pictures. And uh, I think it was seven. <laughs> the, the the original one, when, I think th- when you when you and I first did picture. The, oh, I think we did four part, but was we it added, four parts? We added a couple episodes talking about it later. Okay, maybe that yeah. was it. Yeah, I think we've so, had seven or eight episodes where we've talked about specifically pictures about pictures and 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 you know you are you know if not the foremost expert one of them um in in on this piece of music (laughs) well i i think yeah i I think that's true sure you understand it um you've played it you performed it um you have a great recording of it but i but um i and i know you know all of these recordings that we're going to play um, mm-hmm. probably pretty intimately. Like, I think, you know, like what we're, mm-hmm. we're going to listen to. So I'm excited to get your, your feedback on this, but we're also going to move into some other stuff pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. let's start with pictures. Um, just a really quick, give a, a overview time frame. Um, you know, who, who is a composer? Like just go over those really quickly before we listen. Yeah. There, there's quite a bit of history with this piece and, uh, it's such, it's such a, huge monumental piece in the piano literature. So I would urge you to to watch or listen to the, the original podcast we have on this to get more information. But basically, Mussorgsky was a mid to late romantic uh, composer, romantic era composer. Um, and he, uh, he wrote this piece really sort of in a burst of inspiration. I think he finished in a, in a few weeks. And it's basically a dedication in a way or a memorial piece to his friend Victor Hartman, which was uh, who was a, a Russian architect, painter, designer, uh, brilliant young artist, uh, who died very suddenly, uh, I believe, from a brain aneurysm. But in any case, he um, uh, there are a few people that put on a great exhibition of his art, you know, over six hundred pieces, 
And this piece uh, that we're going to, going to be listening to, it's about a 30 to 40 minute piece, depending on who plays it. And it's basically Mussorgsky walking through the exhibition and seeing different images and putting those or translating those into music. Um, so that's kind of the, the piece itself. I'm not going to get into more of the history about it, um, yeah. but there's so much variety that one can take or one can see and hear in this piece. And uh, I think it's the most recorded piece in, I don't know how the statistic works. I forgot when I was doing my doctoral thesis on this you know, almost 15 years ago. Um, I remembered all those these little facts and figures, but uh, the most different kinds of recordings and instrumentations and all that for this piece. It's been done for obviously piano solo, which is the original. Most people are familiar with it uh, through the Ravel orchestration, but there have been many right. other orchestrations. There, I I remember in my research, I listened to a version for a trombone. Uh, ensemble. I listened to a Chinese wow. uh, instrument uh, ensemble. I um, Mekong Delta. That's a kind of a not a big, but a, it was a heavy metal group in the I think the eighties or nine or seventies or eighties. Um, they did a version. ELP has a version. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're awesome. Um, <laughs> Eric Lincoln Palmer. So yeah, there's so many versions of this and snippets of it and uh, ways to interpret it. And the shortest and, timing and when you hear when you hear it, you'll 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 recognize it. it's one of those pieces yeah. that are that's in the culture that that's like yeah. okay, I don't know where I've heard it, but I've heard it. It's part of what I've you know part of the musical landscape that I know. Yeah, the promenade is very common, uh, and sometimes in movies, the uh, great the great gate is very famous. Um, there's the the ox, you know, Bidwo, which I think is in a lot of war movies. I've mm -hmm. seen it referenced. So anyway, um, that's a little bit about the piece. I thought we might choose, since it's such a long piece, maybe <clears throat> the beginning of the promenade uh, with the four. Okay. I sent you four different people. Um, we can listen to just the way they interpret it and then maybe choose another one or two other um, vignettes from the entire piece and, uh, and listen to a couple of those artists. It might be a little tough to find those, so we can we can fiddle around with it. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll we can figure that yeah, out. Yeah, and then what, we can edit uh, so if we. So let's maybe start with the the promenade, which is the first piece, and it's sort of Mussorgsky or the audience member, if you will, walking through the exhibition and and noticing the different pieces of art. All right. Yeah. Who do you want to listen to first? Uh, this, I mean, I have this kind of in order that you sent me. So let's oh, start okay. with the um, uh, Kissin. Yeah, Kissin's great.
Yeah, and then we get into oh, yeah. Nomus, which I I think his version of Nomus is maybe my favorite. Um, in any case, I, I think I was just uh, noticing more things. Every time I listen to this, and especially his recording, I notice more things. But um, one thing that came to mind is we, you and I always talk about how much we love classical music, of course. Right. But I hear from others like, ah, oh, it's so boring and this and that. And when I listen to this, I'm almost headbanging, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's just, oh, da, da, da. It's so cool. It's um, so great. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Then, it's so majestic. In, you it know. is. Yeah. And the way he plays it, I mean, I, I mean, what, I, I, this is my first time hearing this particular um, uh, recording and his, his tone is so bell like it's so, mm. it's almost like church bells. Even when, even when he's playing, adding that left hand, that, that sparkle on the top end, just mm. I, to me, just sings through and it feels like a welcoming, like a welcome to almost a wedding. Like here we, you know, I mean, it's, it's a perfect, like prominent, it's, it, here we come. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's great. Yeah, his playing, I've never heard him live. I really want to. Uh, my wife has, and I've had a few, many friends who have. And one thing they always mention is just how much sound he can produce and his mm. his voicing. Like, he can just bring out anything. And it just, like, this bell, this piercing sound in a way, it, it has such a chord to it. Um, and he can feel, you know, one of the things I love about this recording, and uh, it's a pretty famous recording of this, and the... Um, at the the amphitheater there it's you know a beautiful setting but it's a huge place yeah and he can just fill that place uh very few pianists could so um one thing so we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the interpretation because i've spoken and we've spoken plenty about the the actual construction of the piece uh which has an interesting meter first of all and and i love that it's sort of a for those that don't know the piece five four then six four then five four six four so you've got this combined 11-4, which is a pretty rare and um, offbeat kind of meter. Typically, like if most people are familiar with pop tunes, you know, they're in 4-4. Four, four. One, two, right. three. And this is in 11-4. So you're a little bit jilted. It's a little bit, you know. It's well, yeah, a, if you were to, if you were to uh, march for a, march to it, you'd end up on the wrong foot half the time. That's, you're like, that's Wait a right. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things I love about that meter is that you, you never feel like you're you're in a down part. Everything's sort of mm-hmm. up. Everything's moving. There's a lot of momentum and, uh, and, and it keeps the line going forward. Um, and one thing I noticed about this recording is he really keeps it moving. It's, it's a pretty brisk walk. Uh, I, I didn't remember what uh, pace he took it at. And I was just on my phone checking the metronome and it's one uh, fourteen <clears throat> or so for the quarter note. It's a pretty brisk walk. Uh, when I play it, I do it a little bit slower and I've heard people that do it much slower, but, um, he somehow manages to still make it beautiful and, and regal and majestic at this fast clip. Um, another interesting thing that he does, which I think has become sort of tradition. And we've talked about what is, what is tradition in performing something? Are you really doing what the piece says or what the composer said or something that so many people have done since then? that you just adopt it. So this entire movement I have, and I have many editions, but uh, the one I used when I learned it was the Wiener Urtext with notes okay. by uh, Sean Derrick and Ashkenazi. And there are no dynamics except for the very beginning. There's a forte, but there are no other dynamics in this particular promenade. Um, but you notice in measure, uh, in measure nine, when he goes down to sort of that A flat 
it's not quite filled in. There's no third yet, but it's sort of like an A flat uh, minor seventh chord and the, the sevenths in the bass. Um, he drops down to like mezzo piano or piano. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people do that because it's such a different color, but there's nothing in the score that says to do that. And there are, there are some versions I've heard, they just go kind of plow straight through. It's in a different register. It's much lower. Um, yeah. So that was, it is that was interesting. interesting. And, and one of the things I noticed that when they did, when he did drop down, he still maintained, like you said, that regalness, that what I called that bell tone on top, like you can mm -hmm. still, it, it still filled the room, even though it was, it was, you could, it was markably a different volume. Um, mm -hmm. it, you could still feel that presence. It's almost as if like, mm -hmm. um, they just took a breath and then they're back at it, you know? Yeah. I feel that his voicing is so good and, and control that he can do that. And that's one thing I strive for right. is that when you're soft and I tell my students this too, you still have to bring out the melody. So, you know, the brain is, um, we can trick it a lot. We have visual, uh, what are those called? Illusions, uh, optical illusions, but also we have audible illusions and uh, what is the, the group? Two Set Violin. They have a really cool mm -hmm. video on audible audio or illusions. Yeah. So one thing that you can do is keep that melody sort of on the same plane. So he's doing a forte before that. Let me see if I can even go over here and demonstrate it. Yeah. Since we're in the visual medium, we've got this coming from the, the top. So that's the melody on top. And then it goes down here. which is much lower, but he still keeps the top part of the melody while he's uh, doing the left hand much quieter. So we get... So that right. kind of voicing gives us the illusion or our ears the illusion. Whoops, I forgot my score. Sorry for the running back and forth. Eventually I'll, eventually I'll have this set up where I can just go right to the piano but he has that um uh voicing on the top so the illusion is that we're much softer because the left hand the bass is softer but we still hear the melody on a similar uh, volume or or dynamic plane right so, i anyway. think uh, one thing for like if you're a piano student you can you can take one takeaway is one way to get that illusion which elias talked about is is thinking of we'll call it the the um uh, the non melody, <laughs> you know, everything that's mm -hmm. not melody, that's your, like, um, how an organ has like a loud pedal, a soft pedal, like, yeah. like your left hand in this case is your loud and soft pedal. And mm -hmm. so the harder you play that, the louder the piece is going to sound. And no matter what's happening with the melody, like you can have that pretty loud because you need to, to reach to the back of the room. But if that left hand is soft, then the illusion is like the whole piece is soft. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's amazing what the brain will do. And yeah. uh, when I demonstrate those kinds of things for students, I say, well, what does this sound like? Oh, that's pretty soft. And then I just play the melody like, oh, that's kind of loud still. I was like, yeah, that's how it is. So anyway, he, he does that so well um, in that section. And I kind of want to play it one more time so people can sure. hear what we've been talking about. Yeah, let's maybe just play it up to that measure nine where okay. or maybe one measure later. All right. Full right now 
we still hear the melody, but and even it's when it's just 14. the melody, it's pretty beefy. Yeah, yeah. Even one note is very rich. Yeah. Here it comes. Right there. So that was a huge drop in volume, but we still heard um, the melody. Da, 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 the A flat, B flat, A flat. Um, almost at the same level as the previous melody, but it just sound, it seemed like it was, uh, in a different went away. world. Yeah. <laughs> right. He does that. I just, just so pulled the well. rug out from under you and then it came back. <laughs> yep. That was incredible. So I think that's a good sort of intro and baseline. Uh, maybe we can listen then to a couple of the recordings yeah. because the opening promenade is fairly simple. Um, and, All right. uh, do you want to do the Richter? Do. Yeah, let's do. Is this a Sophia recording? I think I sent you that. Yeah, yeah this is his most famous. He's he recorded it so many times. All right, here we go. actually at a pretty quick clip as well some parts were faster i thought the tempo was almost identical until he sped like he was way looser with his tempo (laughs) yeah it was much more free and uh in and out kisin really sticks to a pretty strict uh tempo but uh richter kind of pulls and pushes you maybe more organic sort of walking you're you're going through the the um the exhibition and kind of speeding up at one photo or one image, whatever, and coming back and you see an, a sculpture and you go rush towards that. He also varied a lot with the articulation. So whereas Kisin was very smooth legato, um, when you have you know, Richter almost did those as staccatos mm-hmm. and it gave it a lot more sort of liveliness. I'm not sure if I would do it quite like that. Um, I think it only works at a faster clip. Otherwise it would sound too short, but, right. um, yeah. And this and is he one did of- not have quite the, um, variance in, in, uh, in dynamics at that measure nine spot. It was, yeah, he, he, he pretty plowed through that thing. <laughs> yeah. He came down a tiny bit, but it was, bit. it was, you know, very similar. And, and he, I think what he did is varied the articulation more, um, mm-hmm. as a sort of, delineation technique instead of uh, doing more with the dynamics. I think Kisin did more with the dynamics. So yeah, very interesting. Uh, still fast, you know, so not too different, but uh, different enough. Uh, well, his, and his, and you mentioned voicing, like I thought his, his voicings were different when, mm-hmm. especially near the end, like it, it felt more organ, like more like an organ, less mm-hmm. like 
a piano, you know, with a, you know, on top. It, it, mm. it, and, and, and I don't, I don't think I'm mistaken in that. In other words, mm-hmm. I under, it's an older, it's from 1958. So it's an older yeah. recording, but I don't think my ears are mistaking the recording for, for the actual thing. I think, I, I don't think the voicings were the same. I yeah. Think. I think he brought out ba- the basses a little bit differently. Yes. And uh, since that theme comes back so many times and uh, sometimes it's just one single line, sometimes it's with chords, sometimes it's with big chords and octaves in the bass. Um, he varied that a little bit each time. Uh, and so I really appreciated that. It's, it's hard to do. And then I know when I play it, I try to map that out or keep track. Okay. If I want it to be growing to a sort, certain place, you know, maybe the third time it comes or the fourth time, that's going to be the biggest. Uh, maybe that's when I bring the bass out more because we've already heard the melody. Those, those are artistic decisions that people have to mm-hmm. think about. Uh, and I and, think and he when, did. And what did you think about his tempo variation? I felt like um, he, there was a, point where it almost felt like it was going to be rushed i don't think uh-huh. he quite rushed it but it felt like it was on the verge of disaster yeah um, i felt so too um trying to think I, I enjoyed it i like that i like that feeling especially as a live audience member to like oh you know i had to lose that breath a little bit yeah um, but but it was it was much different than the keyson yeah yeah they're both live recordings, which is interesting but keyson has i mean he's so perfect in his uh, he doesn't make mistakes and and Richter for however incredible a pianist he was he missed a couple notes here and there and uh and it did feel like dude, I was a little not really nervous I've heard it many times but just uh you're you're on the edge of your seat a little bit and right. so I don't know how calculated that was or if it was just in the moment he felt oh I have this surge of energy and I have to go for it um it could have been a combination of both but yeah I, I did feel that it was a little teetering there Right. <laughs> so, um, but he, he kept it in, he controlled it and he made it interesting. And yeah, very different for how similar it is because there are, we're going to listen probably to some others that are, right. although I don't think I gave you um, the slowest one, but that's another. So I was mentioning before, there are some recordings, I believe Horowitz's is one of the fastest of the whole piece, uh, but that's partly because he le- leaves out the middle promenade which Ravel did in his orchestration. Anyway, um, I think Horowitz records it at like 26 minutes. And the longest one is Pogorelich at 43 minutes or something. Ooh. I mean, it's a huge difference <laughs> of uh, interpretive <laughs> takes wow. on that. So his promenade is very laborious and just languorous, you know. We're going to enjoy these art pieces. <laughs> yes, yes. So anyway, with that, let's go to the next one. And maybe we don't listen to the whole thing. Well, let's go to around measure 14-ish. I'll kind of give you a thumbs up when to cut. Okay. Because then we'll, we'll hear these variations that we've been listening All to. All right. So this is... Uh, Let me see who's Capel? next. Yeah. William Capel, great American pianist. By the way, just just for reference, so Richter was that was nineteen fifty eight. Keeson, when do you know approximately? Two thousand two. Okay, that was two thousand two. Yeah. Okay, okay, and then Capel. The, the Capel is, is from the Frick Collection in New York. It's nineteen fifty three. So this, this is the okay. earliest one. Here we go. Like that breath there. Much 
much more peddled. Accents marked, but uh, wow, this is very quiet. And then it's growing. different way different yeah. and what i love about it is it's it's from the same era as the richter uh-huh. you know but it's so different yeah it's only five years earlier than that and i'm trying to think i think brelovsky was the first full recording of the piece i should have studied some of this or brushed up i think it's from the 20s or 30s um, but there weren't many that did full recordings of it until the you know there are a couple of Moiseevich recordings from the 40s. I think Horowitz's is from the late 40s, early 50s. And this is from the early 50s. So, you know, uh, it's one of the f- first full recordings. But the so dynamics majestic. are so different. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, he really, in fact, I think he got quieter long before. Like he was using some yeah. of those one note lines as as a as a, I guess a, a, a cue to, to quiet it down. Yeah. He kind of set it up, which I, yeah. I like, I don't, I don't do that quite, but I, now that I've heard this and I haven't heard this recording in a long time, um, but it's still one of my favorites and he, he does, he really sets you up a bit. It's nice. I also like how he differentiates the one line theme from when it's uh, sort of orchestrated in the piano or fleshed out he takes a little bit of a breath. So, you know, he takes a little yeah. breath there. And uh, sorry for my falsetto in the morning or early <laughs> afternoon, but morning for me. Um, and then, yeah, the dynamic range. And then even in the second half of the, the promenade, he really comes down and builds up a lot. And it's a well, long is- plan. His retardando at the very end is way more pronounced than any of the yeah. others. <laughs> yeah, he really takes time. And this He's is milking that baby. He is. This is the only, <laughs> op- only opening promenade. It's like, you've got a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of, you know, when I, when I play this piece, the beginning is very easy. The first measure. I mean, any, any student who's played a couple years could play the opening two bars. And then yeah. the next two bars are more difficult. But in general, this piece, it has some octaves, has some chords. It's not super tough. Um, and so I always, whenever I've performed this in the past, the entire work, I started out, I'm like, okay, cool. This is going well. And then I end the, the first one. I'm like, oh my God, I've got so many more pieces to play. <laughs> <in this." laughs> 
and the next one is one of the hardest in the set. So what have I gotten myself into? Right. I always think, gosh, why did I start this piece? <laughs> Can I just call a timeout? Throw in the towel. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Oh, I remember one concert I did. Um, I usually, I always put this in the second half. It's, I mean, it's the 35. When I play it, it's about 33, 34 minutes. Um, and that's, that's a pretty beefy half. And so I usually, and it has a big ending. So I did a concert once where I had a lot of little pieces in the first half, you know, um, like a couple Scarlatti sonatas, a Mozart fantasy. Uh, I don't know what else I played. Maybe a couple Schubert impromptus, a couple of Chopin etudes and preludes. And, uh, you know, then we got to the intermission and we came back and I always give my, my spiel like, oh, thanks everybody for coming back to hear me again for the second half. And, uh, and I said, we, I've just got one more piece to play. So <laughs> <laughs> happens to be 35 minutes. Little but. do they know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've, 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 we're going to listen to Russia's hemispheres next. <laughs> right. Yes. Just, just, can you hang on for one more piece? One more, okay. one more. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, the so good I, news is that it is a very dynamic piece and, and yeah. it'll keep your interest. Has but, a lot of variety. Yeah. Yeah, but it's yeah. I mean, that first part is it, it's just it's fascinating to me how mm -hmm. how different um, you know the Capel one is. It's it's yeah, yeah. it's very I was, cool. I was checking the metronome too. I mean, we all could hear it was slower, but it was like one oh one hundred. It was there was a little fluctuation, not as much as Richter, but not quite as strict as Kiesen. Um Yeah, but pretty pretty solid, uh, much slower. But he also used more pedal. So it was more sort of this singing yes. quality. Yeah, I was gonna, I I noticed that like the the tone, the pedal tone was a lot different. It was it, it mm -hmm. definitely flowed more of a wash of sound than right, right, and yes. um, sort of delineated march march like. Yeah. Um, so maybe somebody's, you know, in the Richter, I feel somebody's marching through the promenade through the whole exhibition, and with the Capel recording, I feel somebody's just like. Uh, lazy you know a little bit lazy walking go. through <laughs> let's like i don't know anyway yeah <laughs> all right well we got one more yeah let's do um is the pletnyov yeah Mikhail pletnyov right. yeah. and when did he when was this recorded you know i i forgot um, when what i uh, is he is he's he he's living i mean he's in the yeah. he's in his 60s 70s now yeah okay so this is probably in the 90s or ish or all right, here we go. Oh, already. So interesting. Speeds up. 
to say. Okay. What in the world? Yeah. So one First of the of reasons. All, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, go no, ahead. you go. You go. I, I just want to say the the. the other than the craziness, <laughs> what, one thing that 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 I definitely heard differently, um, and it's weird that it didn't it didn't hit me on the other ones, but this is the first time it really hit me the actual like call and response that was going on. He brought mm-hmm. that out beautifully, especially yeah. the first you know nine ten measures. Like it was like oh this is a solo choir solo choir. Like it's it mm-hmm. was clear and beautiful how he did that. Yeah, Pletnyov is one of those. Um, polarizing pianists and i think we might have heard him for something before he's one of my favorite artists and uh, he's actually one of my teacher's teachers okay uh, and i was uh, gonna say he, this is the most artistic of all of yeah the- it, i feel that he's somebody that's just like okay what if i heard from all the pianists in the world i'm just going to take from all of them you know and make my own compilation although it's his own thing he's yeah. he's just creating new stuff all the time and and he does things that nobody else does um, and the reason why I put this in there is because of a later piece I want to listen to with his. When I first heard this recording, um, first of all, he adds stuff. He adds mm-hmm. notes. He adds um, the bass in like measure, let's see, measure seven. Uh, the the melody is da-da-bum, bum, bum, ba-da-dum. But the bass is just four quarter notes at the, at the last four beats. Bum, 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 bum. But what he does is he adds uh, an eighth note to match the melody. Bum, bum, ba ba bum in the bass. Okay, yeah, And right. then at the end, he puts those bass notes an octave lower, a lot of them. And then right. he fills in some of the bass. Uh, instead of just yep. octaves, he makes them chords. So it's like an orchestra, an organ even. Um it's, you know, it's quite I, remarkable. It is. It is. And it's something that like he can do. I feel other, some people I, I would hear it. I'm like, mm, that's kitschy or it doesn't quite work. And some of the interpretive things he does, I would say, wow, how could you put those two things together? You know, how yeah. can you make this slower, more pedal, um, and then softer in some places and then still have the staccatos that Richter does, you know, in a way. And he somehow makes it work. It's like, you see this piece of art, it's a hodgepodge of things, people just throwing something and then a crayon and then some oils and then somebody cuts mm-hmm. like all this stuff. And somehow when he does it, it, it makes sense. It's organic. Um, Absolutely. It does. It, it feels like he's feel like this is the mood. Like if you were to hear the, hear it today at a different concert, you would hear it differently because the audience was different and he would, he would vibe on that whole, like, this is a different thing. Mm-hmm. Feel, you know yeah he's a very it's, creative artist yeah it yeah. really i i mean i enjoyed that a lot yeah um that's, yeah that's i, really I don't fun. even know if we can talk about all the details but like you said I'll, I'll mention a couple of the big ones the call and response was a big mm-hmm. one where he he takes a little breath after the single the solo line and then it's like okay here comes the chorus get ready for it um and then he does a lot of interesting things with dynamics Sometimes yeah. that call and response is helped by the, the dynamics um, and sort of shown even more difference. Um, one thing he also did is in this place where it repeats, he adds some accents on certain chords. Yeah. So the, you know, the A minor over, over an F, which is kind of F, F chord. And then it goes to this, <clears throat> uh, what is that? G, B flat, D, E, it's chord, sort of an E half diminished uh, seventh with uh, in, in first inversion. So 
he's going between a consonant chord, relatively consonant chord, and a relatively dissonant chord. And he's showing that like this, if you were to, you know. Right. He, he yep. does like that. So in a conversation, it would be a little bit uh, seesaw-ish. Um, but it's not overdone. I, I think it's tastefully done. I think it's tasteful so, too. But yeah. Uh, also, uh, he his um, dynamics again were very different. That that first response to the call, I was not expecting it to be as soft as it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but I think it worked for some it reason. Did. It worked. But the other it was interesting. That he he definitely brought out the responses on the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, it was much louder. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, that first one was like, oh, are we still in the distance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. He's he's really painting a picture. It's a very vibrant picture. So, I think those are yeah. some of the things. And as we were listening, we were like, oh, oh, you know, that's that's different. That's interesting. So, I do encourage those of you um, listening to kind of maybe go back or have reference the uh, the YouTube video and kind of you know hear that whole thing in context. Uh, it's pretty fascinating. I, yeah. I thought we might, since we have this uh, recording. It'd be nice to check out a later um, section section. And I wanted to go to the corn mortuous. So let me see if I can find it and give you a timestamp. Okay. Uh, and then we can kind of edit as we need. Because this is one of the reasons I sent you this particular recording is because when I heard it, this really got me. Okay. I think it's this one. Sorry, I'm so It's okay. I like that. I like that section of the piece too. It's gonna be I'm excited to hear his version of okay. it. Okay. So if you want to go to like eighteen twenty as a timestamp, we'll hear the very end of the um Limoges, the marketplace. And uh Okay. We'll get into it's cool. actually the catacombs. So, All right, here we are. We're at, um, I'm at So this gets into Conmortuous, which I just want to hear a bit because he connects them. It's very blurry. Okay. So maybe Whoa. we can pause it there. 
Very sort of so cool. Yeah. Cool effects. And there's another recording of his. It might not be this one where he, instead of doing the tremolos and the cormortuous tremolos, when you go very quickly back and forth between um, two notes, like an octave. And he instead does it like da, 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 da. So I'll, I'll demonstrate. It's a high F sharp on the piano. Basically, here's a tremolo. Right. And he sometimes does. Yeah. Or, or it might be another recording I'm thinking of that does does that. And uh, I've heard that. I've, I've heard that done there. Yeah. Um, and would, would, I mean, the way he's doing it in this particular setting works so well because it does. It just flows right in and just it takes that almost twisted, haunted him and and you know, moves it, you know, deeper, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, deeper in, in the depth. So that, that, that was really beautiful. Um, in the, in the catacombs, he, um, he doesn't quite follow. This is one case where Musorks gives very specific as to which, um, uh, his, his uh, dynamic indications. I mean, even in one measure, he has different on one note. He, he starts with the uh, fortissimo, and then the next measure, these are all dotted uh, half notes with fermata, fermata's buff. The next measure is piano. And yeah. uh, Pletniov does fortissimo and still fortissimo. And then the next measure, crescendo. The next measure, fortissimo sforzando. Then the next measure, piano diminuendo. Diminuendo is going to be automatic. Next one, fortissimo sforzando. Next measure, piano diminuendo. So every single measure up until measure, let's see, 9, 10, 11, 12, up till 12, has an individual dynamic marking for each chord. Um, so that's very specific. And in, in this, in the score, what's the, what's the pedal work like? Well, pedal is not really indicated. And I think in the, uh, in a lot of this sort of late romantic um, music, it's not indicated. Okay. So you just do it. Uh, Chopin did indicate a lot of his pedal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, and he wanted specific effects and he had a different kind of an instrument by, but by this time, the piano was a little bit more developed already. And, uh, you know, when was this written? 1874, I think. Yeah. So yeah. this, uh, th- not quite the modern piano, but it would have had, you know, a, a strong iron frame. It would have had the, almost the full range, you know, maybe 85 keys by now instead of 88. I've played on some pianos from the 1880s that have 85 keys. So this probably would have been close. And he has some very low notes in this. So probably had 85 keys. Um, and yeah, has a, a huge dynamic range. So a lot of possibilities. So he really wow. utilizes everything. And he mark, he's very meticulous about his markings for that. That's so. interesting. And, 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 and you're saying, um, did, did, um, did Mikhail, did he did he follow those markings? Not not always, not, but yeah, the idea was there, and he did some. There are some really big chords that you can't quite reach, and so the the way he rolled them or the what he chose to play first uh, was very distinctive and not typical. And uh, he yeah. brought out some middle voices, as we heard in the um, in the promenade. He brought out that was another thing I now comes to mind the, the middle yeah. voice is coming out he just uh it definitely came out that. here too yeah it shows i so. mean no, that that da 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 wow, that, wow, that step mm-hmm. up in that baritone voice was just clear as day you mm-hmm. know 
Yeah, so I, I love what he does with this. I thought we might. Um, I was thinking of having this for the end, but I'm glad we listened to it. Maybe we can just check out. I found the timestamps of the other three. Um, okay. And just get a, a taste of what they do with the catacombs and the uh, con mortuous. Sounds good. Yeah, uh, so let's see. Timestamp. Let's. Which one do you want to do first? Um, let's go backwards. Next. So let's do the uh, Capel. Capel. Okay, so that one is at. Uh, 18 let's go to like 45 okay we'll hear again the end of limoges going into the catacombs okay here we go this is 1840 okay much clearer okay fortissimo piano and he held it for a long time yeah that's crescendo fortissimo sforzando yeah so it's a kind of echo effect there No dynamic indication, so that was his own choice. Now it's piano nice indication. Suspension. Yeah, I love his clarity and the, yeah. Oh, that was interesting. Interesting. A little arpeggio. Yeah. It's more regular too. Plenty of his uh, rhythms a little more distorted. I love this inner voice. Yeah, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Let's see how he connects it. There's actually a rest and then an ataka. He's just gonna hold it. Whoa. Interesting. Yeah, he starts very slowly. That's really cool. Oh, much clearer. Yeah. But, and just very um very plain. It's just simple. It's it doesn't maybe have that uh devilish feeling to it, but very pure. Oh yeah, very. That was yeah, definitely more of an angelic catacombs and <laughs> yeah, like yeah. we welcome you here, <laughs> as opposed to you're falling into the into the vector. <laughs> yeah, th those are scary. I I went there as a kid, and uh, I got to visit. We got to visit the catacombs, and I'm not I'm not claustrophobic per se, but when you're underground in those tunnels and you know with skulls and things like that it's, or at least tombs i don't know if we saw there might have been some skulls that they had curated and left out to sort of show i don't know if they're originals yeah. or casts but uh it was a little scary down there you know you're down there for like it seemed an eternity when i but i was 12 so maybe it was right. half an hour but you're walking way underground through tunnels and mazes and oh, things like wow. that it's a little scary. yeah that could be pretty that could be pretty unsettling yeah yeah for yeah. sure that anyway. was such a beautiful i mean again they're so different and there's a lot you could take away from that that's mm -hmm. different from the other one from mm -hmm. you know it, it just it's way like again it had that um i'm gonna call it like a twisted hymn feel because of the mm -hmm. really those suspensions really makes it feel like it's almost a, a church organ or some sort of like thing, but it definitely mm -hmm. didn't have the twisted element 
that the yeah. did. Right, right. You know. Yeah, that was crazy. But both incredibly done. I, I like that. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Let's let's All listen right. to the other ones. Get a let's taste go to Richter. Richter's around 1743, so maybe start at like 1735. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. And the worst part, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So much. more straightforward yeah and more regular with the pulse yeah and those he reaches i mean he has you know the top a little bit but also the baritone his sportsandos are just vibrant yeah monstrous sound yeah yeah okay okay a little breath but he goes right into it and yeah and it's not as it's clearer than um the the What's his name? Uh, Plenyoff. Plenyoff. Yeah, yeah. It's clear. He like he's using a little, maybe a little less pedal or something. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. you know, so you can hear the the distinct yeah. where um, it's, it's, so it's not you know quite as as, um, yeah. It reminds me of like a, a small bell or something. Or if you were to yeah. orchestrate it, maybe a triangle would just be yeah. You know, just very clear and uh, even. Yes. So that's impressive because it is hard to do that clear and evenly while you're doing other things in the left hand. Um, but but yeah. again, that that's a very different and very interesting take on it. Just as beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it was, it, it was, it, what's interesting is he had probably, I don't know about the most he, he had, he, he was very um, loose in his tempo during the promenade, but mm-hmm. this felt very strict. Like he was, yeah. even though it had, you had those long notes and those long formatas, he seemed to know what his pulse was, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. This and, was more, and- I, I think of him as um, one of the first Soviet pianists. So the, the Russian pianists, I feel there are a couple of generations. If you talk about uh, the Rubinsteins and, and the early, let's say Rachmaninoff, Horowitz, Hoffman, they were they were sort of an older generation. Mm-hmm. Rubinstein's even older, the Anton Rubinstein, not Archer. But um, 
Then you get the generation after the 1917 revolution. You get the Richters, Gilels, um, uh, and Ashkenazi, and those those types. And it's a very different kind of pianism. Um, so I, I feel this is more to his core, even though Richter could do kind of everything. But this yeah. is more the, you know, it's got that. Oh, yeah. I mean, when he hits those, boom, it's just like it, it'll pull you out of your seat. Yeah. Pow. You right, know? Exactly. Yeah. Well, that gives so, us a taste. Maybe we'll listen to the Kiesen once. Yeah, let's listen to the Kiesen. And then, and then I think I think what we're going to do, we're going to save maybe the other two I think for so. the shorter pieces. So I think mm-hmm. we'll save those for another episode. Mm-hmm. So get ready. So th- this turned out to be another, another pictures episode, which is totally <laughs> fine by yeah. me. <laughs> this is more comparative uh, performance practice. Which, yeah, which, which is just great. I think it's – this is – you know, if if there's a takeaway I want people to have, it's it's like I want them to appreciate the music and love the music and love the artists that are creating the music in the moment. Like mm-hmm. there's so much you can do and 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 just just you know really appreciate what you're listening to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know those exactly. details matter. Yeah, um, they do. So they do. all right, so where do we go for the keys? So let's go to about twenty one oh three, so maybe twenty one fifty five ish. Wow, later. Yeah, that surprises me a little bit. But I'm tr- I think there's an intro in this video too where he walks on stage, so it might be. Oh, okay. But but I think it is a little bit shorter overall. Yeah. All right, so here's uh, twenty fifty six. Oh, no. Uh, did I say the wrong number? I think I did. Yeah, there we go. placement is incredible. Yeah. Oh, it's just so like beefy. Such a sound. And again, like you mentioned before, his voicing is just impeccable. Mm-hmm. So good. Mm-hmm. Oh, he offsets things just a bit. I, there's part of me that yeah. doesn't like that, but he does it so well. He does it well. Yeah. He's pedaling too. He he can connect something and it's still clear. Impressive. No, almost lets the sound go away. <laughs> yeah, there are no formatas on those, but he's kind of making you anticipate. Okay, what's coming? Which is the opposite of yeah. what the others did. The other the. It were longer in the front end. Yep. So he keeps it more even and and very clear on top. That's great. Yeah. That's so great. Very good. Oh, man. It's, you know, I... 
And, and these are only I, two pieces we listened to. Out I know, of, out I of know, the whole set, out of the whole set. But but what's beautiful about it is, especially um, that Keeson, like like you can hear how he he wouldn't let the sound go away, and then at the end he almost let it go away. He mm-hmm. really held that out. Um, it just he, he, yeah, and then and then. I want people to know how difficult that vo- those voicings are to get the, to get it to sound that way, because you have to, the way the sound works, like they have those, those, all those overtones have to work together. And as a pianist, the only way you could do that is if you're perfectly even and hit those notes exactly right. Um, mm-hmm. And he just does it so well. <laughs> yeah. So no, good. he really is incredible. I, every one of these uh, pianists is, is one of the greatest but, you know, you, I think when I talk so about different. overtones, uh, I think um, I always think of like barbershop quartets and that mm. like, what are you talking about with barbershop quartets? Well, when, when a barbershop quartet sings, they're, they're not singing to a pitch. They're not singing to like a piano. They're singing, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to the, the, the natural thirds and the natural fifths. And so yeah. when that, when you do that, you get a ring and you, and you mm-hmm. hear that distinct ring in a barbershop quartet. Well, I don't know how he does it because a piano is like, because of even temperament, it's impossible yeah. to do. But somehow he's pulling off that where, where you're, where one plus two equals seven. Like mm-hmm. it just, it just explodes, even though he's playing, you know, some parts relatively soft, but it just mm-hmm. explodes out of the, out of the frame of the piano. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. He, he can, like I say, he, my friends uh, that I've heard him play and my wife, the, the sheer amount of sound that he can produce. And the voicing that he can do, we always joke like he has a steel pinky. Yeah. He can just bring out that top. And, and I'm pretty strong, you know, and I have a yeah. very well-developed muscle here. But, boy, I, I'm i envious of, of what he can do. It's- the strength of his fingers, the independence, the um, elasticity. Also, if you watch him play, it's fascinating. It's, it's a technique I would never teach anybody. I mean, it's so like this and every finger is, is independent. It's like a perfect technique, but not the kind of technique that anybody learns. Um, but it just works for him. And that's why he's considered by many to be the the greatest or one of the greatest. I, he's my wife's second favorite all-time pianist after Zimmerman. Yeah. And, and (laughs) after you, come on. And no, (laughs) <laughs> and and Zimmerman and Kissing are in my top five, you know, or yeah. maybe top ten. I kind of rotate people, but they're they're always up there. They're just so great. And Kissing, uh, I that's one person, one of a few that I really want to see live. Um, and he's still in his prime. He's you know early early fifties. Um, so yeah. Wow. Well, they're great. Great. So. You know, so just to sign off here, like what would be mm-hmm. your, we, we've gone through these pieces, we've done this comparative. What would, what would you want somebody listening to this to, to their takeaway to be? Yeah. Um, we talk a lot about the individual, uh, individual artists and interpretation and, and what that means. And of course we, we have to come to the score honestly and, and read it and see what the composer is saying. But Within those parameters, there's a lot of leeway and a lot of um, artistic judgment we need to to have, but also to develop. I think too many young artists today, at least, just think, "Oh, you can go out and kind of do anything you want," and it's uh, you can't criticize it because, "Well, but that's mine. That's my idea." Right. You do have to go through some um, system and and learn the traditions and learn sort of what's 
what's correct or what's proper. But then you, 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 it's like you can learn the rules so that you can break them or bend them at least. And I think these artists are those that, that bent the rules and in maybe Pletnyov's case broke the rules sometimes. Um, but, but always worked within their own framework and made it an organic, um, uh, piece in the end or, or their decisions made sense together. So, uh, you have to be internally consistent as well. And that's what I think is important when any person is developing their own voice is not to just do anything because you can, it's like, there are rules in place for a reason. Certain things work for a reason. Um, and, and you can kind of take some leeway or, or take some artistic, make right. some artistic decisions. Well, there's um, something, there is something to like artistic integrity, you know? Right. Integrity is a great word. Yeah. So just finding that balance, I think that's important. That's why we go through these. And that's why I chose the specific artists I did because they have that, that great balance of um, doing it kind of the right way. When you hear them, you're like, gosh, that is, that's good. That's great. That's right. Um, maybe they're not following the score precisely, but they're, they're getting the essence. They're doing all that's mm-hmm. there and they're putting their own stamp on it. And each of those artists is very recognizable. You know, if I heard the Pletnyov, um, I would, I would know it's him in, especially in this piece. Um, and certainly the others as well. So I think that's important to listen to these great artists to see what you can, you know, take from them because great art, you can, you can steal from great artists. It's, it's okay. Yeah. In, in a way, if you're a performer, you can, I borrow ideas from them. They don't always stay with me. I change my mind. Um, but when I, when I first performed this piece, I was adding notes like Horowitz, like Pletnyoff did. I thought, yeah, they did it. I can do it. And then I came around to like, well, I really should, do more of the original, what was written, the Urtex version, um, but see if I can capture some of those ideas or encapsulate that that sound that they get still. Um, yeah, so your mind starts to develop and formulate its own uh, unique version of the piece or the you know artwork, whatever you're doing. So I think that's important as we're developing as artists and also listeners that aren't maybe developing it, but going to a concert and listening, they might not know the piece, but can you hear what the, the individual is saying through their performance? Um, that's, I think, very important. And are, and are they honest? Are they sincere? Is it organic? Is it internally consistent? You, know, you might not have all those tools to, to listen for those things, but hopefully this video and others gives you some of those tools or helps you build them. You are listening to End of Love Remains. First of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt. Trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization down. 